And so we wanna talk about how to read it. And the reason that's important is because if we don't read it with the right lenses, if we don't understand that this story is headed somewhere, then we're gonna read it in such a way that leads to despair and destruction. Hello and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Sam Parham. I'm the host for this show. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you're on your commute, whether that's to work, to school, uh, to on your way home, maybe from a Father's Day weekend uh, away, uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we appreciate you checking out what we're doing here at Life Church Canton. Um, this particular episode will be week number five in our series, The Story of God. Our new pastor, our new associate pastor, Jared Van Verst, is preaching this week. If you missed uh, a couple couple of weeks ago, we had Jared come out uh, all the way from Minnesota to candidate um, for his position and, and preach some message on Mary and Martha. I'd encourage you to go check that message out as well. That was uh, earlier this May. Um, but this message in particular uh, is about heaven and what the Bible has to say about that. So here's Jared. Enjoy. Morning, everybody. Good to be with you. Uh, I want to say happy Father's Day to you all as well. I will spare you the dad jokes because John did a, an okay job for us already. Yeah, you're welcome. He'll be here all day. Uh, thank you so much for your welcoming to me. Um, for my Father's Day, since I'm not with my family, I have three kids of my own, I'm not with my family, I just took it upon myself to go ahead and purchase myself a Father's Day gift, and um, I hope that's okay. If my wife's watching right now, we didn't talk about this, so I apologize, but I just went ahead and purchased myself a nice little gift here, and so I wanted to wear this. <laughs> that's not a Life Church welcome, I don't think. So you're just going to have to deal with it. Uh, this is what I'm going to wear for the uh, remainder of my message, and I hope that's okay. Uh, you're all praying for me right now, and, uh, hoping for healing. No, I won't wear it. I don't want to be a distraction, but I am a Twins fan. I'm sorry. Uh, no, we're, we're in first place. I don't mean to rub it in. Anyway, um, <laughs> it is so good to be together, and uh, you have been in one of my favorite series. I've been able to watch from a distance a little bit and now getting involved in this, the story of God, and somebody said it earlier that it's not just the story of God, but it's the God of the story that we're looking at ultimately. And this is a beautiful series that we've been in, and our hope throughout this series is that you have been getting into the story, that the Word of God has been something that you've been wanting to immerse yourself in. Uh, but not only that, but to find yourself in the story. You are in the story, I'm in the story. And so uh, it's been an exciting series. If you don't have a Bible, actually, we would love to give you one. We have one available for you at the Welcome Center. And so if uh, right now you want to go and grab one, you could do that. Or if after the service, after our gathering together, you want to grab one, we would love for you to get into this because we believe that this isn't just a story of God, but we are in the story as well. And uh, it's, it's all pointing to something and that, I think that's important to mention. It's pointing to Jesus. We heard about that if you were here last week. Raise your hand if you were here last week. Yeah, it was fun last week. Uh, Daniel, we had a guest speaker named Daniel who was here with us. Now, I just want to be sensitive because I can understand that uh, some of you might be confused. There's been a lot of new faces, and you're like, well, who, okay, so who's this now? Is this Daniel? Is this Jared? Who is this? And you could get us confused as well because uh, there's a lot of reason for that. We're both bald. Uh, we both have beards, we're both tall, we're both newer faces, but there is a distinguishing difference. 
a major difference, and that is, is that he has more gray in his beard than I do. And so that's, that's how you're able to tell us apart. So I provided a picture just in case. That's me on the right uh, there, and Daniel is on the left. No, he did a phenomenal job talking about the Messiah, right? That he's the main man of Scripture, that everything is pointing to Jesus. And that's who we look to. And then I want to take it a step further for us today to say this, that this is going somewhere. This story has a destination. It's headed somewhere. It's not just a story of something that happened in the past tense, but something that is happening. It's happening. It's continuing to happen. And there's a future. And so it's so important for us and why we've been saying this. We want you to get into the story so that you can know that this is going somewhere and that you're a part of this story. And there's also another reason why we want you to read it, not just to read it, but to know how to read it. That's part of what this series is about, because it's important that we understand how to read what seems like an ancient, irrelevant book, collection of books that that don't always connect with us. It's hard to understand. Sometimes it's intimidating. Sometimes it's challenging. And so we want to talk about how to read it. And the reason that's important is because if we don't read it with the right lenses, if we don't understand that this story is headed somewhere, then we're going to read it in such a way that leads to despair and destruction. Because there are those stories in there that seem a little off, that seem a little violent, that seem like there's a lot of bloodshed and it's confusing and we don't understand where God is taking us. But if we go into this story, reading it in such a way that this is leading to hope, not despair, but to love and to joy and to a resolution of renewal and restoration. It provides us with new lenses through which to read this story, to know that it's headed somewhere. And so I want to talk about this idea today. And really, this whole idea is summed up in this one phrase that we actually just sung about in this last song. It's a phrase from Jesus who gives us a prayer. He gives his disciples a prayer to pray But he has this one phrase that sums up this whole idea that it's going somewhere. And it goes like this. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Some translations say in earth as it is in heaven. That's an interesting phrase. We'll kind of unpack that just a little bit. But I want to talk about this idea of may his kingdom come, the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, because when we think about heaven, typically what we think about is what? Well, that's the place that I go when I die. And and that's not entirely off, but the scriptures provide a different picture of what that actually looks like. In fact, all throughout the Old Testament, they're actually not all that concerned about this idea of an afterlife. It wasn't a super popular idea that you go to some place after you die. That was somewhere and in bits and pieces of the scriptures, but it's not a prevalent idea. It's not a popular idea. And then when we get into the New Testament, they're thinking more of the age to come than they are thinking about a place we go when we die. And so when we talk about this idea of heaven, our ideas don't often match up with the ideas of scripture. And so that's what I want to unpack for us today. And I want to talk about the whole Bible, really, Uh, mostly bits and pieces, but kind of go from beginning to end and talk about this idea of heaven coming to earth. But I'm going to use different language. I'm going to refer to it as God's space and our space because we get tripped up on this word 
heaven and this idea of heaven. So instead, I want to talk about it in terms of God's space and our space. God's space is going to be blue for our illustration. Our space will be red. So what we see in the very beginning of the Bible as we're reading the Bible, the very first book of the Bible is Genesis, which simply means origins, beginnings. How does this all begin? So in order to understand where we're going, we have to understand where we've been and where we're coming from. So in the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the very first two chapters, this is actually the image that we get in the creation narrative, is that God's space is fully united with our space. Heaven and earth are, are one. It's perfectly united. It's what the, he, what the Hebrew people referred to as shalom. Everybody say shalom. You've probably heard this word before. We maybe think it means peace, and that's part of it. It does mean peace, but also wholeness and restoration and renewal and togetherness and unity and all these things. Shalom, perfect unity. God's space, fully intact with our space. It was perfection. Let me stop there for just a moment because I recognize that this, this seems like a utopia. It seems like, wow, this, that would be great, wouldn't it? And we look at our lives today, and it, it doesn't really feel like this, does it? It doesn't often feel like there's wholeness all the time or that there's perfect shalom and unity and togetherness in our relationships, in our world, in our government, in our economics, and all those things. It doesn't always feel like this, does it? There's a reason for that. Because, wouldn't you know it, it only gets to the third chapter and already this thing goes to chaos. <laughs> we get two chapters of the entire Bible where it's like this and then it just goes awry. It just becomes a mess. Because what happens is humanity, our space, decides to go their own way. They say, you know what, actually we, we don't need God. God, we, we don't need your space. We don't need your presence. We think we've got this thing figured out. We're just, we're going to do this thing on our own. And I think that's important to to really clarify, it's not that God turned his back on us. It's quite the other way around. Humanity turned their back on God. Oftentimes it feels like when we're lonely, when we don't feel like life is going the way it should go, we'd like to put the blame on God and say, well, God turned his back on us. But that is never the case in Scripture. If we read it with the right lenses, ultimately what we see is that God, throughout the entire story, is pursuing our space. See, even though humanity decides to turn their back on God and to say, we don't need you, God is constantly pursuing us. He wants to be a part of our space. And so what he does is he establishes something called a covenant, which isn't like a contract. It's more like a relational, intimate kind of thing. He wants to be in relationship with us. And if you didn't hear this message two weeks ago, Pastor John Grandy gave a wonderful message about covenants that God establishes a relational contract, an intimate relationship with our space all throughout the story, trying to bring it back into God's space and our space so that we can experience perfect unity and shalom once again. This is God's hope. This is, this is ultimately where he wants to take us. But it's a bit of a process, and it's kind of a messy, chaotic process. And so what happens is in order for God to help the people establish this perfect unity, this shalom, he sets up a bit of a system along with the people. It requires something of them. Because they're broken and flawed and because they have this tendency to turn their backs on God, God comes alongside them. He partners with them to produce this new system, this new way of being. And so uh, earlier what we see in the, in the 
early stages of the Old Testament. He sets up something called the tabernacle, and then eventually something called the temple. Let me just talk about those two things for just a moment. These are physical structures. So the tabernacle is more like a tent because they were a nomadic people. It needed to be something that could be raised and lowered and taken down so that they could go into their various places. They were traveling and they could set up this tabernacle. And in this place was the experience or the encounter where God's space would enter into our space. And so they could experience God's presence. And in God's presence is when you got healing and forgiveness and restoration and shalom. That was the tabernacle. The temple is pretty much the exact same thing, except once they became established as a nation, the nation of Israel, then they set up more of a permanent place, and it became, called, uh, became known as the temple in Jerusalem. And so these two functions... Uh, healing and forgiveness that happened in both the tabernacle and the temple became a staple of the people of God for hundreds of years. In fact, it still is in a lot of cases for the Jewish people of God. This is where healing and forgiveness flow. Those are the main functions of the temple. And so uh, what happened within the temple, you might ask yourself, well, okay, so how, how is it possible that, that God's space and our space can then be experienced in this structure? How does that work? Well, something that we need to know about the ancient people is that they had very different ways of doing things than than you and I. And so what they had was a sacrificial system. There was something that was required of them to give up in order to sort of create space, if you will, for God's space to enter into our space. Now, it's a little bit bizarre, uh, but it's not exclusive to the Hebrew people, the people of God. In fact, this was pretty well known throughout the entire ancient culture, that they had sacrificial systems. Maybe you've seen movies or read books about this where you have these ancient sort of primitive, even barbaric cultures where they would sacrifice various things in order to please their gods, in order to sort of be in right standing with their God, make them happy make them like them, make them uh, so that, you know, my wife can have a child or my crops can grow or I can expand my, my land and what I own. This is what they did is they sacrificed something in order to please the gods that controlled these outcomes of their lives. And so they would va- sacrifice various things, whether it be uh, their own crops or maybe an animal like a goat or a lamb or cats. No, they didn't do cats. <laughs> But they should have, right? Am I right? Am I right, dog lovers? No, cats are great, I'm sure. If you're a cat lover, we're going to pray for you after the gathering, so you can receive healing and forgiveness as well. Anyway, they they had all of these uh, things that they might sacrifice to the gods to make them happy, to make them pleased with them. The the Hebrew people are no different. They, they, They are a product of their culture, if you will, but what was unique about them is that there was intentionality behind their sacrificial system. Now, if you are reading the Bible, I would encourage you to look at, it's a very challenging book and a very um, gory book. It's called Leviticus. Uh, But it's actually very fascinating because what's happening in the book of Leviticus is it's talking about this whole sacrificial system, how God set it up so that God's space and our space were perfectly united once again. Here's what they did, is that the, the way that Leviticus is written is that it perfectly reflects the order of the creation narrative. Why would they do that? Well, because what they're trying to accomplish is 
to recreate, if you will, that moment in time when God's space and our space were perfectly united in Genesis 1 and 2, the creation narrative. And so if they can reflect that, if they can mirror that in their sacrificial system, then in a sense what they can do is recreate this experience of God's space encountering our space. And we can experience God's presence and we can experience healing and forgiveness because we're a flawed people that has a tendency to turn our backs on God. This is how this gets set up. This is the beginnings of this uh, experience of God's space entering into our space. But wouldn't you know it, humanity's flawed. They have a tendency to mess things up. In fact, uh, they often mess this process up. The sacrificial system gets messed up. They keep turning their backs on God. They make it less about God and more about the system. They make it more about the corruption. And so you've got people in power within the temple system who become corrupt and want to make it about themselves and want to make it about their popularity and their money and their economic system. And so it's, it's a flawed system. Humanity is flawed. And so it's not... It's not perfect. Even though God is helping them to establish this process, it's incomplete. It's an incomplete process. The system is flawed. They're still products of their culture. There's this level of anxiety of trying to please God as opposed to trying to experience the presence of God. It becomes much more transactional than transformational. In Life Church, if you've had any experience with spiritual healing or forgiveness, you know that it's much more art than science. How do you create a system around forgiveness and around healing and around wholeness? We need transformation, not transaction, but yet because humanity is flawed and they made it about a system, this is ultimately what it ended up looking like. It's an incomplete process. And so I think it's important when we look at the Old Testament and we're reading all these different stories and if you're brand new to the Bible and you go into it with this expectation like you're going to see this amazing God and all of his beauty and love and grace and mercy and you're going to see all of these experiences of amazing people who are doing great things for God, if you go into it with that mindset, you're going to be super disappointed and super confused. Because if anything, what it actually looks like is God trying to pursue his people, but then sometimes looking a little bit violent, or at least that's the expectation of the people, and they're not really sure how this works, but sometimes they're corrupt, and sometimes they want to turn their backs on God, and actually it looks like God's turning their backs on him, and then they just kind of abandon the whole system altogether, but then there's some people who are saying, no, 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 come back to God. He actually has a better plan for us, and he's trying to enter into their space, but then they slip out from behind him, and then they just go away, and it's just a massive mess, a bloody, violent, chaotic mess. And if any of you have tried to read the Old Testament, you're like, all right, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to start in Genesis. Genesis 1, 2, okay, this is good. Genesis 3, oh, that's not so good. All right, these people slept with who? Oh, okay, that's weird. Leviticus, okay, forget it. We just walk away from it altogether. And if we don't read it with the lens that it's going somewhere and that we don't read it with, with the idea that God's plan ultimately throughout the entire narrative is that his, his space would enter into our space. And if it doesn't look like Jesus in the Old Testament, we're going to be confused, we're going to be disappointed, and eventually we might just walk away from the Bible or we may even walk away from the faith altogether. 
because God doesn't look like what we want him to look like. Life Church is so important that as we enter into the scriptures, it's, it's hard, it's challenging, and sometimes we have to dig through some of the context before we give up on it immediately. And we have to enter into it with this expectation that God is taking it somewhere. It's why it's so helpful that we say this all is pointing to Jesus. It's pointing to Jesus. Because when Jesus shows up on the scene, he makes this chaotic, messy, corrupt, broken system look just a little bit more like this because of the things that he's saying and doing. He, he actually starts to make it look a little bit more like this, bringing the two together. And then sometimes because of the things he's saying and doing, he's, he's, bringing, he's bringing perfect unity and shalom into this situation. He says really interesting things. The, the moment he shows up on his scene and in his ministry, he says things like, behold, pay attention, look, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's among you. It's within you, even. That's a radical statement. That, that's, a, that's a huge statement in that time. Think about it. Everything that I just described before in the Old Testament takes place over the course of hundreds of years. They had developed a system over hundreds of years. What they understood about heaven and earth, God's space and our space, is that you experience that in the tabernacle and eventually in the temple and through the priests and through the system. And there's a process to how we work this all out. And now we've got this rabbi who shows up on the scene and says, actually, God's space is in you. It's in you. Why do you think the Jewish people the Jewish leaders wanted to kill him just as much as the Romans did. He's messing up their system. He, he's messing with their system and saying kind of blasphemous, heretical kinds of things. This, this doesn't jive with their system. The kingdom of heaven is within you. It, it, it's not about this system anymore. It's not about this temple. And actually, the temple has kind of started to fail. It's, it's incomplete. It doesn't work anymore. There, there's another thing that's said about him. He shows up in, in one gathering where this guy named John, they called, called him John the Baptist. He's baptizing people to repent from their sin. In other words, to turn away and turn back to God because John recognized that people have done this and he's saying, no, 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 repent. Turn back to God because he's actually pursuing you. And as he's doing this, as he's doing this, Jesus comes and shows up, and John stops what he's doing. He looks and he sees Jesus, and he says, Behold, everybody, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What is John saying there? He's making a reference to the temple system, to the priestly business of the sacrificial system, saying, We've been for hundreds of years sacrificing lambs and goats to create space for God's space to enter into our space. And actually now Jesus, that person, is the new lamb of God. Another radical, bold statement to be said about this person, Jesus. And a little bit later on, Jesus is actually around the temple. And he's arguing with some church leaders some religious leaders, they're called Pharisees, and they're talking about the temple, and Jesus says, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. 
Just keep on going, Jesus. You just know how to get killed. You're awesome. He's just creating more chaos for these people. Tear down this temple. Tear down this thing that you have made central to your entire being for hundreds of years. And I'll rebuild it in three days. He's just making a mockery of their entire system. But what is he saying? He's saying actually two different things. One, on one hand, he is talking about this physical building. uh, But also, he's talking about the function of the temple. This system has failed. Tear it down. Because it's not, it's not about this thing anymore. It's incomplete. It's become corrupt. Tear it down, and I'll rebuild it in three days. Well, you're not going to build this structure in three days. I've been to Israel before. This structure is huge. It's like three or four football fields long. It's massive. He's not going to rebuild it in three days. What is he saying? Well, he's actually talking about himself. Tear down this temple, and I will rebuild it in three days. Tear me down, crucify me, and I will rise again in three days. Jesus is talking about himself. And what he's doing is he's saying that system, the temple system, is broken. The thing that was supposed to bring God's space into our space didn't work anymore. It actually looks kind of like this. And so now, Jesus shows up on the scene and says, actually, I embody the function of the temple. I am where you get healing and forgiveness and perfect unity and shalom. God's space and our space is perfectly represented in the person of Jesus. We call it fully God and fully man. That's why Daniel talked about it last week, that Jesus is the main man of the story. He's the only one that perfectly embodies this. He is human, our space, but he is also God, God's space, fully embodied within him. And out of him flow grace and mercy and love and healing and forgiveness. That's why why every week we want to say, connect to Jesus, commit your life to Jesus, because he's the one that embodies this. There's a story in the Gospels that perfectly represents this idea of healing and forgiveness. There's this moment where these guys, they have this friend who's paralyzed, and they want to bring him to Jesus because Jesus had gotten some notoriety. He had been performing some miracles and some healing. And so they're like, well, let's just bring him to Jesus and hope for the healing to happen. But as they get closer to this room where Jesus is, the room is just packed There's people everywhere, and so they can't get to him. And so what they do instead is they go upstairs on top of the roof, and what they do is they dig a hole in the roof. Can you imagine being in the room as they're digging a hole, and looking up, dust in your eye, like, what in the world is going on? The owner of the house, like, I'm going to have to get an insurance claim on this. I mean, uh, this is an issue, but they have flat roofs there, and so they're digging a hole in this roof, and they lower him down in front of Jesus, and he gets in front of Jesus, and what do you expect would happen? Jesus would heal him, and this is what Jesus says. Your sins are forgiven. That's cool. Thanks. I appreciate that. But you know what? I'm here for the show. I'm here for the healing, right? That's what I would be thinking if I were this guy. But no, he says, your sins are forgiven. And then, again, he gets in an argument with the church leaders that are there with him, trying to enforce the rules, trying to hold up the system. And they're saying, what are you doing? Only God can forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. They're making a reference to the temple, the system, the process. There's a a flow through which uh, we have to go through in order to experience this. And now Jesus is saying, no, no, no. I'm going to be a part of this. I'm going to administer 
forgiveness. He's bucking the system once again. But you know what? What's easier, forgiving sins or healing? Well, if you want to know the power of God, I'll also heal the man too. You know what? Get up, take your mat, and go home. And he does. Forgiveness and healing embodied in Jesus. Perfect shalom. Jesus is taking this and bringing it to people everywhere he goes, every village he travels to. No longer do you have to just go to this one place to experience forgiveness and healing. Now it's in a person who is mobile, who is going around changing people's lives, transforming them, bringing healing and forgiveness once again. And then finally, he dies. He dies on a cross. He becomes that final sacrifice, ending a system once and for all. You can read about that in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. Chapters 8 and 9 specifically talk about this. It's fascinating how the author connects that to the old system and says Jesus is actually the answer and the finisher of the system so that you and I don't have to be in this constant anxiety of trying to please God. How many of you wrestle with that? I'm just trying to make God happy. I just hope he's not mad at me. I just hope he's not sitting up there just waiting for me to fail so he can just come down and pounce. No, that's not the character of God. God is a God who pursues us out of his love and grace and his mercy. He wants us to experience the presence of God, not pleasing God necessarily. This is what happens. This is what Jesus accomplishes of bringing our space and God's space together as one. There's a writer who writes to a church in a city called Colossae who perfectly represents this idea. Colossians chapter 1, it says this, For God was pleased to have all his fullness or his godness, if you will, dwell in him, in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth, our space, or things in heaven, God's space, by making peace or shalom through his blood shed on the cross. Now check this out. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your own minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. In other words, what he's saying is you thought you were enemies of God. You wanted to turn your back on God, but God pursued you in Christ and reconciled you with his space once again. And this is what we now experience in Christ. When we commit our lives to him, when we submit our lives to him. But I said this earlier, it doesn't look like this often, does it? It doesn't feel like this. It doesn't feel like this in our relationships. It doesn't feel like this when we turn on the news There's still brokenness, there's still greed, there's still corruption, there's still poverty, there's still racism, there's all these things, and it actually looks a little bit more like this. And then sometimes there's there's mental health issues, there's depression and anxiety, and it feels like it's just kind of falling apart, and it just feels like God is distant and disinterested. And we're left to be on our own and lonely once again. It feels more like this than the other way, doesn't it? That's why it's important that we recognize that the story is still going somewhere. That Christ inaugurated, he started the process of bringing God's space into our space, but we're also told, we're promised that he will once again return 
to restore and renew all things once again. It's perfectly summed up in this way in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. We started in Genesis, now we're all the way to the end of the story, which isn't actually the end of anything, it's just the beginning of something new. We get this vision of what it will be like when Christ returns. It says this, now the dwelling or the home of God, God's space, is with men or humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. We sang this song, we need your presence and we'll get it. We'll get his presence. So what do we do in this waiting period until we get to this full expression of God's space entering into our space? What do we do in the meantime? Do we just kind of sit and wait and twiddle our thumbs and hope for the best? No, there's a process that we've been invited into. We get to participate in carrying this concept, this idea, into every aspect of our lives, in our jobs, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our parenting, in our marriages. Bringing our space, God's space, that idea, into every place that we go. I want to show you why this is. There's one last verse that I want us to look at. It's in 1 Corinthians. A guy named Paul writes a letter to another church in a city called Corinth, and he says this very provocative statement. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're now the temple. We go from years and years and years of a system, of a tabernacle, that that's the space where God's space and our space come together. And then the temple where it becomes this whole system, this whole process, the sacrificial system. That's where God's space and our space come together and the Holy Spirit's presence comes in. And then Jesus comes and says, no, actually it's not about a system, it's about a person and it's in me. And now I'm going to die and I'm going to be resurrected, but now I'm going to give you my spirit. It's going to live within you and you now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are this mobile tabernacle, if you will, that carries God's space and our space within you, within your heart. You, Life Church, are a carrier of the kingdom. You take this with you wherever you go. Well, how do we do that? How do you carry this with you? I want to give you three final thoughts. Read, pray, and act. What do I mean by that? Read the story. Read the story so that you can see that it's going somewhere, so that you can see that it's pointing to Jesus, so that you can see that you're a part of the story. You're in the story. And if you're in the story, you want to know how your story ends up and where it's headed. Read the story, even though it's challenging at times, even though it's sometimes hard to understand. That's why we do it in community. That's why we talk about it on a weekly basis so that we can understand the parts that maybe we don't understand. And we can talk about it and discuss it together. Read the story. Pray. I mentioned at the very beginning, we sang it as well. We're going to sing it again, this idea of may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven pray that. Jesus says to pray that. There are things that God can do in the supernatural that he wants to do, and he wants us to be in alignment with him and our hearts to agree with him in prayer. Prayer is powerful. In fact, after the gathering today, we want to invite you to come and pray with somebody. We'll have a team of people that would love to pray with you. And 
It can't just be prayer. Prayer is powerful, but it doesn't stop with prayer. It can't just be thoughts and prayers, if you know what I mean. We have to act. We are called to act, to participate in the activity of the kingdom of God. In other words, what it looks like is if we carry this idea within our hearts, within ourselves, essentially what we do is we say to God, break our hearts for what breaks yours, everything for your kingdom's cause. We sang about that. In other words, what we're asking God to do is to reveal something in our hearts, and our minds, and our eyes. And so we look for situations. We're on the lookout to see where there's brokenness, where there isn't shalom, where there isn't wholeness and peace. And we say, okay, there's an injustice over there. I'm going to take this with me where I go, and I'm going to bring about healing and forgiveness and reconciliation. Or we look over here and we see a broken marriage and somebody that needs some support and love and encouragement we say, I want to be a part of that. I want to help where I can. Or we see somebody who's struggling with mental health and we don't leave them alone to suffer and say, I don't understand all of that. That's all that science stuff. I don't get it. No, no, no. We, we learn and we try to understand and we try to love them in the way that God would love them. We bring God's space and our space together within ourselves into every situation that we encounter. It's going somewhere. This is what God has invited us into to experience now, today, heaven on earth, God's space entering into our space. Some of you might not feel that in your own lives, might not have that experience of God. And that's why we want to say, commit your life to Jesus. And that could just be a simple prayer to say, Jesus, I have turned my back on you but I recognize I need you in my life. So what I want to do is invite you to pray. And then we're going to continue in our time of worship. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you have pursued us over and over and over and you have remained faithful. God, I pray that if there are any people in this room who have not yet had that experience of God's space and our space being fully united within our hearts, that they would cry out to you, that they would ask you to enter into their lives, to bring about healing and forgiveness so that we can begin to be part of this process of renewal, the restoration of all things. God, thank you that you are taking us somewhere, that this is not the end of the story, but we're just getting started. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you want to find out more information about Life Church Canton or other churches in the Life Church Network, you can go to lifechurchcanton.org or fill out the form linked in the show notes below, and someone from the church will reach out to you with more information. If you came to Life Church for the first time this past weekend, we would love to know about it. We believe that life isn't meant to be lived in isolation, but we want to connect with you and learn to live like Jesus in community together. If you want to email the show, you can do that at podcast at lifechurchcan.org. You can subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please share it with a friend and leave us a review. Once again, my name is Sam Parham, and you've been listening to the Life Church Canton Podcast. Have a great week, everybody.